Bolt your windows. Lock your doors. Check your closets. Look under your bed. And then, prepare yourself. For it's another episode of Dark Night of the Podcast. Whoa! Everybody wants to be a winner, a winner, a winner. Hey, I love a a slasher film that has its own fucking theme song. And today, especially, I feel like a winner, an absolute winner, because I am joined by a very special co-host. Actually, Chris, I don't know if you know this or not, but you have the distinction of you were our very first guest ever on the podcast, way back when we didn't know what we were doing episode 22 sleepaway camp and so when uh when roger decided to take his month off to embark on filming meet which again we're wishing him the best of luck you were the first person i thought of because i'm like you know what first guest it's only fitting that you come back for co-hosting duties for this month and here you are here you are well thank you i feel like a winner because a I okay. So while you were talking, I was literally covering my mouth because I didn't know you were about to sing that song to me, and <laughs> so I feel like a winner as well. And I didn't. I do. I think I remember at the time being popping the cherry, the guest cherry. But uh, I'm very excited to be back. You popped it very well. That was a great episode. Uh, thank you. Well, it's a great movie we did. Uh, yeah, I should have told you to sing the intro because that's your thing. I, I, I can't. No, it was better with you doing oh, it. Oh, I can't carry it too. But well, okay. So, you know, we have gained, I would hope, <laughs> I would hope we've gained a lot of listeners since episode 22. You, We have three more we listeners. Three more. It's like, no, y'all are doing really well. I'm really, I love the podcast. Oh, well, thank you. So why don't you... For for new listeners, new to you, which I, I can't imagine there's nobody on earth that doesn't know who Chris Jenner is. But just oh lord, <laughs> but but just in case, just in case there's someone listening that might not know who you are, why don't you uh, tell our audience a little bit about yourself, what you do, and all that fun stuff. Uh, sure. Well, my name is Chris Jenner. For those who don't know, um, not to be confused with Chris Jenner, I have no relation. And I am an actor and a singer. And I know Troy because I am in his film Teacher Shortage with also Roger, who I'm knocking out of the seat today. Uh, mostly I tour uh, in music. I'm a dark alternative pop rock artist. And I tour with the world with a boy band tribute concert called Larger Than Life. And other than that, I do a bunch of film and TV. I used to do musical theaters, a little little Broadway, a little off-Broadway, a little, uh, I worked for Disney for a bit, but yeah, I'm terrible at talking about myself. But <laughs> <laughs> no, I think that's great. You, uh, an all around, just super talented guy. We, I was blessed to have you join Teacher Shortage. That was definitely one of the, the best filming experiences I've had. I loved it. I know I keep talking about how long it's been and it just boggles my mind that it's been so long since I've done a film. It really doesn't feel like it was that long ago that we even did teacher shortage. Like when I talk about it, I almost 
I have a tendency to be like, oh yeah, like a year or two ago, but it's been like what four? Has it been four years? Two thousand eighteen, I think. Is okay, see, this is what I'm talking about. <laughs> Even then, I do, it feels like it hasn't been that long. I, life is happening, though. Life is happening. A lot has happened with you. A lot of has happened with me. I've made several cross country moves for some odd reason, <laughs> which has you know it, what when life happens, just time gets away from you. And yeah, I, I cherish the experience. Teacher shortage was a great experience. You were fabulous in it. You and Roger together were great. The whole cast was great. We did a lot of bonding. It was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, looking back on how long it's been, I, like I said, I, I, I've i mentioned this in the past. I just, I'm itching to do it again. While I'm here. <laughs> I, have, I know. Well, we're going to, trust me, we're going to talk. We're going to talk. But yeah, so again, thank you for coming on. We chose, uh, I, you know what? And it didn't even, it didn't even dawn on me. Well, it's June. I thought it was a great choice. I know that's what I was just going to say. It did not dawn on me how the timing for this particular film worked out. Uh, when you sent me a, a list of films, I was like, oh, okay, blah, blah, okay, let's do graduation day. But it didn't even dawn on me that it is graduation season. So this film is only fitting. Yeah, you know, and it's funny when we talked about this movie being the option, I, I not only, I've never seen this film, I had never heard of it. And I had, I've never seen, after looking it up, I've never seen any of Herb Freed's movies. Um, you know, this one is, I would say like for 80 slasher fans, it's pretty, it's pretty well known. But beyond that, just like casual horror fans probably aren't going to be too familiar with this title. For me, I, I'd seen this before, obviously. Uh, during the heyday of VHS, I was the, the kid that was in the video store running literally every horror film I could get my hands on. And of course, this was one of them. I will say I, it doesn't surprise me that this film is sort of under the radar because it's, and I'm just going to say my opinion right, right out, right out of the gate. And then we can get into the film. It's kind of bland. Well, you know, I went into it with, I hate to say this, but you know, I'm a big 80s slasher fan in general, but I guess I'm almost like, I don't want to say like a fake fan. Cause I'm like, oh, cause I love Friday the 13th. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Cause you really got to delve into the world of, there are so many of these like slashers that are unknown to the world, but are these beautiful eighties films. And so I went into it thinking like, Oh, this is probably going to be like pretty rough. And so I think because I went into that with that expectation, I actually have a lot of positive feelings towards this movie. I had a great time. I have a lot of issues with it, but I also have a lot of like, positive feelings because i really didn't expect it to be what it was at least perfect perfect so we will definitely have an insightful conversation i think because i had a, I struggled getting through the film this time to be honest with you well i think it helped that i had no ex like i just had never seen anything i didn't know what it was about i definitely think the film has a lot of issue we could talk about <laughs> you, you ready to get into it you please, yeah. Okay. Well, you know, I, I I think one of the issues with the film, just right out of the gate, um, that I will put forth is me and Roger recently covered um the Slumber Party Massacre for our Patreon. It'll be our May Patreon episode that'll be dropping here in a couple of days for our everybody subscriber else. Yes, it's a great. I, I, we need more subscribers. We we literally have like twenty three full length episodes on that damn thing. We work hard oh, on wow. that. I know, but Slumber Party Massacre. So one of the things that me and Roger both really praised the slumber party massacre for is the fact that the characters in that film are 
pretty well, I want to say fleshed out. They're given personalities. You get to spend a little bit of time with each of them to get to know those girls as characters. I feel like this film, there are a lot of characters in this film and some of them just pop in just to be murdered and you literally have no idea who they are, where they came from. And, you know, I guess that's par for the course with the slasher film, right? You know, it's, it's all about body count, but looking at it now from a perspective of I'm older, I'm more mature. I like to have characters that are fleshed out. I kind of like to know a little bit about a character before just seeing them brutally murdered by jumping on a, you know, a, a mat full of spikes. I have no idea who that guy was. He just showed up to be murdered on spikes. Um, so that right away is sort of clouds my opinion of the film because there's these characters that I just don't really have an attachment to. Well, that was my biggest takeaway too. And when I like my biggest thought on the entire film was I didn't even know who I was watching. Like the guy you just mentioned, I honestly don't remember him even having a line. I don't know if he said something in the opening sequence but I don't remember him ever being in any other scene aside from the opening and his death. And I don't remember him speaking. So I like, I think that my biggest issue was the same thing that you just mentioned was I don't know who these characters are. And the glimpses we get of like two of them didn't sustain long enough for me to actually care too much about them. Yeah. And it's, it's odd that they would, they would reserve a a pretty cool death scene for a character that we have no attachment to at all. Like that was a pretty cool death scene. It's it was my favorite death scene in the film. Yeah, it looks great. Some of the death scenes in this film are edited pretty terribly. This one actually looks pretty good. And it's it's weird that they just they saved it for a character that just shows up out of the blue and we have no idea who he is. But let's get into film. As I said, I love a film that has its own fucking theme song. And let's talk about this disco inspired <laughs> everybody wants to be a winner. And all of the, I just, I just have to chuckle because <laughs> it's intercut with like the the kids at the high school, Midvale High School. Apparently, they're they're doing their sports, they're running their track, they're doing their gymnastics. But it's <laughs> they are doing their sports. they are doing the lots of sports. But I love the fact that it's intercut with like literally bleachers full of people cheering them on. Oh my god, I loved everything about this opening montage. It. Really, I you, if you could have seen the smile on my face when I was like, oh, no, <laughs> what am I watching already? It's so good with the 80s nostalgia. Well, it's funny because I don't remember our bleachers being packed with for track meets, but these kids, it, look like, it looks like every student in the school is, is here and they're just really into it. They're cheering them on, they're hooting, they're hollering. I mean, they love they it. fucking love it. But then we, we focus in on um, a specific athlete uh laura who is running a 200 meter race and she's just giving it her all her coach is yeah she is she is running well first off she's leagues ahead of all the other girls like if you take a look like she's not she's obviously not at risk of losing this race to the other girls but her coach clearly wants her to beat her own record Oh yeah, she's way ahead of the other girls, and he wants to. Her, she, he wants her to do it in thirty seconds. So he is screaming at her to move her ass, and she is just giving it her all. And she actually wins. Like she crosses the finish line. She does. I mean, she looks like she is struggling during that whole run, though. Her face is like she is about to cry the whole well, time. Well, she crosses the finish line and immediately drops dead. So there's that. 
<laughs> so that's probably why. Uh, and her boyfriend rushes to her side, but she's already dead. Poor thing. I mean, kind of a I, I, a unique way to open the film. You know, this ultimately at its core is a revenge film, right? It, it has that same revenge yeah. theme that like a prom night does. Something terrible happens in the in the beginning and the killer is killing people that were quote unquote involved in it. Although I have an issue with that motive here at the end of the movie, what we'll get to. I have a little bit of an issue as well with that. (laughs) Yeah. It's a revenge film, but I like, I mean, it's a, it's a unique setup. It's a unique setup for a revenge film. Having this poor girl drop dead on the track field. We then transition into a, a scene with who we learn is Anne. She is in the Marines and it's Laura's sister. And she is coming back to town for the graduation. And she's hitching a ride with this stereotypical sweaty, sleazy driver of this van. And he is just being a fucking pervert. He's like talking about. And he is wearing a very, very tight purple shirt and an ascot. I just wanted to mention. (laughs) I can I tell you, I guess I don't know why I didn't expect any of that. But like this scene kind of like, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? It kind of came out of the blue to me when he was like, lesbos. Like I was just like, what? Oh, my God. What? I don't know what he was talking about. He's like, did you hear about those two girls down in San Bernardino? Yeah, I heard they were a couple lesbos. I'm like, okay. Uh, And then he's like grabbing on her and she's like, get off of me. And he's like, oh, you're not a lesbo, huh? (laughs) I was like, what? But but right away, she establishes herself as being a badass bitch. You don't fuck with her because she grabs his fucking nuts. And she's like, if you fucking touch me again or even breathe in my direction, you will be eating your nuts for lunch. He's like, Jesus Christ, lady. Which I thought was pretty iconic because I thought this was a really good introduction to her. I do think that as we go on in this movie, I here's my issue. I li- I really like this character. Mm-hmm. I really like Anne and I really like the actress portraying her. I think they underutilized her character so offensively to me. <laughs> She's great, and she has some great outfits. And can we talk about her waist? This woman has the tiniest waist I've ever seen in my entire life. And I can't wait to talk about her fight choreo because oh, that she, was a big thing for me. <laughs> she's great. She's great. Uh, yeah, under, underutilized. And there is this weird thing that's established right here in this scene that I, I find interesting because it really paints this character in a in a odd light, I think. It's, it's hard to really kind of decide if you're on this character's side or not because they end up... There's many moments in this film where they make her seem like she is the killer. Absolutely. Yeah. And this is the first one because she gets into town. She sees this blonde jogging through town with these giant fucking headphones on. That can't be comfortable. Are those noise canceling headphones or are they real headphones? This was like the 80s. So I'm assuming they're just real headphones because when she gets killed, you can hear music coming from them. Oh, okay. I didn't see any cords. So I was like, is she running with noise cancelers? <laughs> These can't be the, the most comfortable things to run on. I mean, but she is doing it. But she, uh, Anne immediately wants to be let out of the, of the truck. And the guy lets her out. And she ominously like watches this blonde girl jog through the woods. And then we immediately get this blonde girl being stalked and, and murdered by a killer who the trope becomes... The killer always sets a stopwatch right before he kills his victims, and he he does it in thirty seconds. So he's sets this he or she 
<laughs> sets their stopwatch yeah. and chases <laughs> this poor girl. And just as it ticks to 30 seconds, grabs her by the hair, rips her headphones off and I guess stabs her. I couldn't tell if he was, if it was supposed to be like her throat was slit and that little like thing of blood was supposed to be it. Or if she was stabbed and that was like residual blood from the knife or something. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is the first indication that these death scenes are terribly edited together. And for being like the first kill scene in the movie, it's kind of lame. Yeah, and it also, well, I guess in, in on the positive note, it does set us up for the fact that like we're about to get a lot of kills where we don't know who people are. So this was like a lead into what we should expect for some of the films. Yeah. Yeah. You generally slasher films try to come out of the gate if, you know, with a, a pretty elaborate first death scene. And this one just does not, this is a super, super lame death. It's a cutaway. We just see like the knife raise and some blood and that's about it. I also did feel like, um, this death felt slightly out of place to me with the style of the other deaths, because as we see in the future, they're kind of using like a fencing, you know, sword and then the spikes on the track and all that stuff. And this was just kind of like, I'm just going to run up and stab you, which I felt was a little bit opposite of kind of like how their kill style was. It was very basic. That's a great point. Yeah, because, yeah, thinking about it, every other death scene in this film is somehow sports related, whether it's the fencing sword, the spikes on the mat, the football with the knife attached to it. Yeah, this was just kind of like oh, that girl's running and I'm going to stab her. Well, we get a we get a montage of just the senior shenanigans leading to who we find out is Coach Michael. His name is George Michaels. Coach George Michaels, yeah. Played by Christopher George. Chris, yes, from, I mean, a slasher fans are going to know him from a film that came out the same year, Pieces. I've never seen it. <laughs> oh my God, you've never seen Pieces? That'll uh, be our next episode. Well, we, we actually did an episode on it, so go back. Well, never mind. I'm going to listen <laughs> But no, he uh, he's painted as being just a fucking asshole, just an asshole. But he plays the asshole well. Let's let's give him credit where credit's due. Yeah, I think he's great in the film. And I think the okay. So this is one of the positive notes about how what I thought about this movie is I really enjoyed the aspect of the overly like pushing from the coach and what I had hoped would be other people surrounding it so that at least the motive came off a little bit more realistic to me. But um, I, I like that commentary on the sports world and kind of the world in general of pushing people too far to kind of to their breaking point to get stuff. And I mean, we've seen that in the real sport world. I also did find it a little strange though, off the, you know, off topic, a little bit here, all these kids are in like every team like, I thought it was kind of weird we were watching to track and field and that girl was doing gymnastics. Yeah, he coaches everything. Like He's the coach. He's the, he's the only coach and he's coaching baseball, he's coaching gymnastics, he's coaching track, he's coaching football. He's like literally the only coach in this school, which, you know, they have a they have gold with him because how many fucking coaches can you say can coach 50 sports at once? Well, yeah, no wonder he's stressed and pushing everybody. He's got to do every single sport. Well, he is trying to rush the newspaper uh, photo for the track and field team and they don't the kids don't want to take the photo without paula who we find out paula is the blonde that paula just is that girl with the headphones yeah, yeah she just got dead. killed uh there's tony who uh makes a smart ass comment about uh, kind of insinuating that the coach like has killed uh laura because he's like how many of us were supposed to actually make it this year coach and 
it's kind of a, a weird little quip, but I guess it, it comes into play because there are certain people that think that the coach is responsible for Laura dying. So it would make sense that maybe some of her teammates think the same thing, right? But this is also kind of like the, it kind of has the opposite effect on me in this regard though, because as we later find out, obviously, if you're listening, I'm assuming you've watched, but as we later find out, the motive was killing all of those kids for this kind of reason. So I wish that they took moments like these, especially this moment to see a group, to establish the group's relationship with each other and maybe pinpoint some people who, I guess, not were on the coach's side, but maybe other people who could have defended him or left it up to like Laura not taking care of herself. And that's why she got a blood clot, which is what they say is how she died. And it just feels like if the students feel like the coach was bad and then we find out the killer feels like the coach was bad, it seems kind of silly that he would kill all of the rest of the team. Yes. And that is the huge problem I have with the killer reveal and his motive. And also that he doesn't blame himself. Yes, because yeah, exactly. Exactly. But we will get there when we get to the killer reveal. But yeah, yeah, you, you nailed it. That's exactly my, my problem with the killer reveal and the motivation, because like, how are you justifying that her teammates who very much seem to not like the coach, Yeah, in this scene, they're all yelling at him. And can we also point out that there's a girl, I think it's this scene, the girl who's Dolores in this scene is not Dolores for the rest of the movie. No, and then like they call Dolores, at the end of the film, I don't know if you caught this either, uh, the killer actually does not call Dolores Dolores, he calls her Diane. When he starts to list uh, when he starts to list the people he kills, he says Diane, not Dolores. So yeah, lots of lots of little issues with like technical aspects of the film or things that weren't caught in editing. Yeah. Well I learned actually that there was a different actress and then she didn't want to hold up the nudity clause and that's why they brought in um Linnea. Linnea Quigley. Yeah, they brought her in because she would do it. And she was just supposed to be a scared girl at first, I think, or something. And, you know, we love Linnea Quigley around here, folks. We just talked about her in Death Drop Gorgeous, our Death Drop Gorgeous episode. And guess what? Linnea Quigley, folks, she was born in my hometown. I have to mention it every fucking time. She's, she was born in your hometown. She was, Davenport, Iowa. Yes, she <laughs> was. Uh, so I love, I love me some Linnea Quigley. Honestly, she has an extensive career in the horror world. You never realize how many movies she's actually been in until you like, yeah. It's over a hundred something. I was looking it up. And some some really great eighties classic films, Return of the Living Dead, Silent Night, Deadly Night. She's she's done it. And actually I like her in this film. She's she's quite I thought she was great. She's quite charming. I will say her and Sally are kind of the only two where you kind of get a glimpse of who they are a little bit. Yeah, Sally definitely maybe a little Tony. I like Tony too. Tony's pretty, you know, for an '80s dude, he's pretty sexy. You know, I know I can see why Linnea is all over him. She's always trying to get his dick out in this film. Like that's all. Well, she I mean, wants. she she's honestly a little bit all over too many people. Yeah, well, the yeah, <laughs> we'll get to that. <laughs> so Anne gets to her her home, and her mother greets her by telling her, "Oh, you lost weight." I mean, she's tiny. She is tiny, but she's like, "I've been the same weight for ten years, mom." When we get this weird introduction and this weird thing that I don't feel like is explored enough. They're talking about their family dynamic, which is so weird. The stepfather, like this yes. horrible stepfather who just seems to hate this girl. And it comes out of nowhere. Like there's no explanation for why he's so hostile towards towards Anne. He calls her a bitch. And like, why did you even come here? He's pretty aggressive. <laughs> Well, he goes up to her room like, okay, so first of all, her mom's like, well, yeah, you can stay in Laura's room. And 
And it's like, well, what happened? What about my room? Well, you're, well, uh, Ronald turned it into a dark room because he's a great photographer. And sh- the mother is like definitely an enabler to this Ronald dude because every, anytime Ronald like is says something aggressive or is being an asshole, the mother tells Anne, "Oh, you just have to, you just have to forgive him. He's been through a lot." Well, that doesn't like justify him like telling Anne in the bedroom that he's going to slap the shit out of her. I had to slap some sense into you. Yeah, he raises his arm and everything. He's ready to knock her out. There's not enough like explanation. And I, I'm wondering if they were trying to like paint him as maybe being a, a suspect. Like he, maybe he's the killer. It felt like that. And I know that later on it's mentioned that uh, she has some sort of money, I guess, from Laura's death that he is I you know she makes a whole statement of like you get to keep the money now too aren't you happy I don't really know what that's about because Laura was a high schooler so <laughs> I don't know what money like what estate was left to her name that would go to her older sister but you know I digress there's some sort of tension in that regard too and I don't know what it is He's mad because he feels, even though he's just her stepfather, he feels that he should be the one that's going to the graduation and, and getting her trophy. What is this? Tr- I don't know what this trophy. We never see this trophy. This, this supposed trophy that they're given, they're given to to Anne for Laura on her graduation, which I thought was kind of a missed out opportunity of maybe that being the way that the killer dies. Like being bludgeoned with the trophy. How cathartic would that be? But yeah, she goes up to to Laura's room and yeah, he immediately comes in and like threatens to hit her and she like pushes him away. And she's like, I, I wouldn't do that if I were you. I've did learn some things in the military. This is a tough bitch. You don't, you don't fuck with, you don't fuck with Anne. See, this is the thing is they are really setting me up to, I'm a big Anne stan. Like I am loving her. And as the movie progresses, I feel like I just wish that she was more involved throughout the rest of the film in general with the students. Like, I also think that maybe her talking maybe to all of the track kids would have given us a chance to learn more about their characters and also have her more included in what's actually going on in the film when it comes to the slasher stuff. Because it feels like her story and the slasher film are almost two different stories. It would have been a good, yeah, you know what? That would have been a good thing to include to humanize her because instead of going that route, they they go this route where they make her like really kind of creepy. Yeah, she's very cold towards everybody. Yeah, and, and you would think she would be like more like sisterly, like towards towards the teammates because they suffered as well. This was their friend, but instead she's like really creepy. Really, really creepy. So they they make the decision to to heavy handedly try to make Anne seem like she's a suspect when any real slasher fan watching this is gonna I'm like know, that's our final girl. Yeah, that that's that she's not the killer. So why give her all these creepy elements? We also get uh, so it cuts from Anne in the bedroom telling her stepped out stepfather to to leave her the fuck alone to a very like prom night esque scene of someone in the school going into the locker room with black gloves and pulling out a, a the track photo and putting a red X through Paula's face. Something very similar that was done in prom night when the victims were being killed. Well, I think because I don't know who these characters are, I liked that because I was like, oh, at least I can see how many are left. And see, now we get Sally. Walk- Sally's the gymnast. She's walking through the woods and someone approaches her from behind and it ends up being Anne. 
See, I I was wondering during this scene, did it feel like the killer was was coming up at her from behind, but then she bumped into Anne, and maybe that distracted the killing? Probably. I can see that. I liked the voyeuristic shots of the killer. I know that that was kind of done a lot in the 80s, but I... I still like it. Yeah, no, it's cool. It gives you, it builds some suspense. But no, it ends up being Anne that bumps into Sally. And again, this is where she's like really weird towards Sally. She's like, oh, you have lovely eyes. Which, I mean, she's right, but. (laughs) Yeah, but she's like, my sister had eyes like you, but she's dead now. Like, why would you say that just randomly to this poor girl? Who also, she knew, like, this is a prime opportunity to be like, Hi, you, you know, my, I don't know if she knows who she is, but like my sister passed away. I'm here for this thing. Like, oh, you're on the team. Maybe I could learn a little bit more because isn't that really why she's here? But instead, she's almost like, like, oh, I just love that you, you have such lovely eyes. It's, it's odd. And even like in the next scene, when, uh, when Sally sees Anne come into the auditorium, she's like, oh my God, she's a weirdo. <laughs> <laughs> So you're not really building a lot of a lot of sympathy for for the Anne character, even though I, I like her. Yeah, yeah. So we get this auditorium scene where we're introduced to Principal Gugliani, who is trying to get the attention of all the graduating students who are just rowdy as hell. So it's great to see that kids act the same back in 1981 because these kids are being assholes, assholes. And can I tell you, it felt it was so annoying. Like that scene lasted so long with them, like just being rambunctious, which I'm sure is true to form. But I was watching just like, oh my God, shut them up. Well, I get a kick out of it because, you know, I'm in education. I'm, I'm going on 20 years in, in public education. and I couldn't do it. Uh, What's well, funny because it's like, oh, people say, oh, kids are getting worse and worse and worse, which in a lot of respects, yes, they are. Like some of the sh- stuff that kids do nowadays, whew, just the bold brazenness of, of, of things they do because they know they can get away with it is, is ridiculous. But like watching this film, which was probably filmed in 1980 and seeing that kids acted like this back then, just rambunctious, had no respect for the principal. Um, and even like the his secretary, Blondie. Love Blondie, who, by the way, that actress was in Hello, Dolly. Oh, my God. Which that's like I knew her from that because she's Minnie in the like Barbara Streisand, like Hello, Dolly. Well, she's a welcomed addition. Blondie is a welcome addition because she even makes the comment is these kids get worse and worse each year. But it's it's established that well, Anne comes into the auditorium. Blondie runs up and tells the principal that Anne's there. And it's established that Anne is there to accept Laura's graduation diploma. There will be a moment of silence for Laura at the graduation ceremony the next day. Which I also found kind of strange that she's just there to, I guess, pop into the rehearsal and everybody can like take a look at her, I guess. Like she's being paraded around. Oh, look, it's the dead sisters. It's the dead girl sister. Oh my God. My favorite part of the scene though is when all the kids like come up to her and it's like ADR condolences (laughs) while these like people are like trying, are like mouthing other things. Yeah, it, they're 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 expressing their sympathy towards this poor. Oh my god, I love your sister. <laughs> <laughs> so good. After this little ceremony, Anne makes her way to Kevin's house because Kevin does try to express his condolences, but he's like, "I got to go. I'll see you after school." So he goes home. Well, she gets to Kevin's house and he she literally just like walks in. She walks in. There's a naked man statue and grandma. Grandma, can we talk about this grandma? I mean. She gets, honestly, a little bit more development for me than most of the characters. 
Yeah, yeah. I wanted I wanted more from this grandma. Like this grandma should have popped up in the final scene. What happened to her? Well, she can't hear. <laughs> Well, she's screaming at the TV to, or screaming at something. Go away. Get out of here. Go away. She walks in. She sees Kevin's like photo album on the on a table on the entranceway. And she looks at it. It's just like track photos of of Laura. And um, Kevin comes downstairs and they have this conversation where Anne's like, you know, Laura didn't have to die. He's like, yeah, I know. Laura will always be with me. And then she gives him Laura's graduation present, which is a, a necklace. Yeah. I, every time they bring up Laura, I get a little bit like, I guess I wish I had more insight to that story because, you know, we obviously met Laura dying and this is kind of the only scene where they really talk about her just, you know, for a little bit, I would have loved to have heard more about like what led her to literal death and why that's so anger inducing. Like it seems like they're definitely placing so much blame on something that like is in all actuality, kind of a natural occurrence. Yeah. It certainly isn't um, like the first time a high school athlete has, has died um, on, on the field or while playing the sport. It happens. It, it's rare but it does happen. And I understand that they do think that the coach, you know, possibly pushed her too hard. But I mean, if she was going to have a blood clot, she was going to have a blood clot. It was going to happen. Right. You know? Yeah. There needed to be a little bit more. Yeah. Conversation. Of- I just, I would like to know like how hard he pushed her. And I think moments like these are the perfect opportunity for him because they come in and say like, oh, she didn't have to die. And he's like, I know, like just throw in a couple like lines of just like, I know those, I don't know, seven day week, a week runs or something. I don't know, anything to give me a little bit more insight to what he was doing to Laura. Yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. I agree. Um, and we now cut to the the locker room with Sally. And I, I Sally, I think you I think you're right. I think like that initial scene with, with Sally walking through the woods and someone following her breathing heavily. That was the killer. So now the killer is stalking Sally again. So Sally definitely is on this killer's radar, but he can never like get the right moment to kill her because she stalked several times in the film up to her, her, her death scene because she's changing and we see the killer come up behind her or someone coming up behind her breathing heavily. But then all of a sudden the whole then boom, it's Vanna White it's fucking Vanna White. <laughs> oh my goodness. Vanna White. I didn't know Vanna White was an actress. And you know what? She's not in this very long, but she's actually, pro- no, but she's, those two girls are funny. Yeah, and she's pretty capable. Like she has to, she has some lines to deliver, and she she does it pretty well. I was surprised that she is, you know, that she popped up when she said she peed her pants. I was cracking up. She's like, "You scare me so bad, I wet myself." <laughs> oh, and then they're they're making fun of her. Like, oh, you really? It does feel like a lot of that dialogue was. Um, I don't know if it was improvisational, but. Sometimes when they do certain like long takes with them being like scared or like, like that scene when they got, you know, scared by Sally and they were like, you are really nuts. You know that like, it felt like they were probably just like, just keep rambling on about like your things. And they were probably just kind of improv. Oh, I, I guarantee that, that they were, uh, and actually it works because it makes the, it makes the dialogue and the conversation sound that much more realistic. I don't think any of this was scripted. Like when she's like, Oh, I almost peed myself. And they have this like very fun, playful banter back and forth. And it just plays off very, very realistically. I'm assuming the director is like, yeah, just kind of 
Yeah, she scares you and then, I don't know, yeah. act like you, what you would do. Well, good call for him because it works. It comes off very natural. Ugh. Now we get, and I just wanted to fucking punch this coach during this scene um, because we get Sally. It, she, she is uh, being photographed by this photographer from the newspaper who just pops up throughout the film just to take photographs of all these kids. Uh, and, you know, he wants to get her on the bars so that she can perform or she, so he can take pictures of her. He's like, just do a few turns. Well, that is not cool with Mr. Coach George Michael because he demands that she get her little ass up on those bars and perform her routine, even though she tells him, you know what, Coach, I'm not feeling it today. He's like, get your little ass up there and do your routine. And even the, the newspaper guy's like, no, 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 she's fine. I can. He's like, shut your fucking mouth and do your job. <laughs> Literally. And I mean, the thing is, he's just getting pictures. Like, you, you can pose these things, really. So I, she does not need to do her full routine to get these photos. But it kind of reminded me of Mary Lou Retton <laughs> when she hurt her, like, was it her knee? But then she had to redo her stuff oh. after she was like, please don't make me do it. And then she did it and won the gold. But now she's like injured. Carrie Strug. Carrie Strug. Is that who I'm thinking of? Yeah, yeah, yeah. From the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. Yeah, yes. Yeah. yeah, well, you know, those girls were, oh, there's a lot of shit that was going on with the UM, U.S. gymnastics team and coaches during that time. It very much gave me that where she's like, I'm not really feeling it. And he's like, well, fucking do some flips. <laughs> yeah. like, well, and it, it causes her, she gets on the, the thing and starts to do her routine and she fucking falls off. <laughs> and he's like, what? What's wrong? And she's like, oh, I, just, I told you I wasn't feeling it. I don't know what happened. He's like screaming, are you broke your concentration? That's what happen and the the poor news guy is like um it's fine i got you shut up shut up do your job and he makes this poor girl get right back up on the bo- the bars and continue her routine after she fell off of the bars and it did um i don't know if this matters but it looked like that actress was doing the gymnastics herself oh i guarantee you that's why she got the role yeah i mean they they were like we need somebody that can swing around on a bar and, and has some gymnastics background that's why she got the role i mean she's fine i'm not saying she's a terrible yeah, she's actor fine, she's yeah. fine um but i guarantee it, it is her it's very much her you can totally tell that it's her yeah the way they do the shots i'm like oh that's that's her doing the the full gymnastics that's fun yeah but she 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 goes on the bar a second time and does a routine and what happens she falls off again <laughs> <laughs> she lasted longer that second time yeah and the coach is like she's actually starts out doing a good job and like the coach's facial expressions he's like licking his lips and stuff watching her and even the photographer is noticing it and he's like uh, <laughs> this is kind of weird so this was a moment where i actually thought that the editing not the editing of this scene was weird but they did something earlier in the film when ann was looking through the little pictures that kevin had and they do this weird editing thing where it's like spliced almost flashback to the track. I kind of wish they did that more here because they do it again later when he does the pole vaulting thing. And I wish they did that a little bit here to show the kids maybe thinking about it. And maybe that's why she fell because she was maybe having a day. I was wondering, I was going to ask Do you think that is like what caused her like not to be able to concentrate? Is she thinking about Anne? Because yeah, there's this weird uh, inner cut when she's doing her routine to like, yeah, you see Laura doing her track routine right before. And I'm like, are we supposed to be thinking that Sally is thinking about like Laura? And that's why she can't. Because I mean, it hasn't been too, too long. 
no, since it, the death. Yeah, I mean that's the thing. This this film makes some decisions where I really wish that they would have like cemented a little bit harder, like what they were, what the point of what they were doing or showing is supposed to be, right? Yeah, but they they don't. Well, she falls off. She runs into the uh, the locker room and she shaves her legs. <laughs> yeah. That's weird. Like this girl is like shaving her legs in the sink of the locker room in her panties and her little knitted top, which doesn't look like it's comfortable. looks like it would be itchy as fuck. But as she's shaving her legs, we see someone come into the the locker room, open one of the lockers, pull out a fencing sword and set the stopwatch and proceed to approach Sally. And she turns around right at the right moment. She's like, what are you doing? No, stop. And the killer shoves the fencing sword through her neck. Um, hokey, hokey looking effect. Yeah. You can totally tell that it is not, that it's a fake head. Like they literally, they did <laughs> nothing to try to hide the fact that it's a fake head. I like the, like the concept of the kill, but yeah, the execution leaves a lot to be desired. I always get a little bit like, not out of place, but I, in my head, I think like, She's in the girls' locker room, right? In her underwear, shaving her legs. If I turned around, if I, you know, if I was in the locker room and I was shaving and I turned around and there was somebody in a fencing outfit with a fence, I'd probably just do a little bit more than be like, hey, don't do that. <laughs> unless, it, unless he wasn't in his mask. And then because she knew him, you know? Yeah. Do you think he was wearing the mask or do you think she recognizes him because he's not in his mask and she's like, oh, it's you. What are you doing? Quit it. You know, I'd like to think it's that just because it's kind of this weird reaction, though, where she turns and she's like, oh, what are you doing? But it's not necessarily like, I know you. What are you doing? It just kind of felt like it almost felt like she saw a stranger who wasn't in a mask. Well, (laughs) we do get the killer in full costume here in a few minutes. And let me tell you, it is not good <laughs> it was unexpected to say the least i mean me. probably the worst killer costume i've seen in my entire life and i've seen a lot but we, we're gonna get there <laughs> we'll get, we'll get oh to it. my god okay so we cut to this music teacher this is uh, oh my god is- this whole storyline could have been cut for me, yeah. to be honest. He's he's singing to his to the students. He's singing to Vanna White and her friend and this other random girl who he does not acknowledge later when he's like, I'll see you and you later. And I'm like, there's three of them. That's very rude. <laughs> he's being okay, so there's a dynamic in this scene that is is odd because it seems like with these three girls, right, that he's being real flirtatious and stuff with them. It's 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 creepy. Absolutely. But then Dolores, Miss Linnea Quigley, comes in. The new and improved Dolores comes the in. The new Dolores, which, hey, I'm all for the new Dolores. I don't even, We're not acknowledging the old Dolores. It's all about the new Dolores. Although when we see the head later, that is the old Dolores. It is. It is. So Dolores is like, oh, do you want me to – she's like being real rude to the girls. And she's like, oh, do you want me to come back? And he's like, no, no, no. You're right on time, Dolores. And he shoes the, the three girls off. And he says, I'll see you later and you later. And yeah. he, there's three of them. And the poor girl. She Well, she's graduating, so he's not going to see I her. mean, she gets hers later because that's the girl he's talking to later in the quad or whatever. But Well, Dolores is there to talk about apparently her – she's failing. And he's like, there's no way I can pass you because like you never, you're never here. Let me let me here. Let me show you your record. And she's like, weird. Let me show you my titties. Yeah. She immediately responds by taking his glasses off. And like he's like, no, no, no. You can't do that. What are you doing? 
people can walk in. So she goes and locks the door. Which there are windows on that door. There are. I know. I know. I mean, come on. Anybody walk. <laughs> because she literally unbuttons her blouse and her tits are full out and she proceeds to like shove his face into her tits and make her make a motorboat. And he's he. like, no, Dolores. Oh, Dolores. <laughs> <laughs> he's yeah, he's he's having fun with those titties. And it's like he's like so he's like denying it, like saying no, but like without at all saying no. Do you know what I mean? He's all for it. And it's, you know, OK, I. Uh, being in education, it's always, it always creeps me out when there's scenes like this in a movie where like a teacher is so, so willing to, to engage in like sexual activity with a, with a female, because if that, if that was me and Dolores took her tits out, I would be out of there. Mainly I'm gay. It wouldn't do, it wouldn't be doing anything for me, but like, that's the, like, if you get into education, that is the, the, a simple thing. Don't fucking sleep with your students. Well, and I mean, they're high schoolers. That's like, I mean, I'm hoping that, you know, she's a senior, she's 18 at least. But I'm like, that is, that's not okay. (laughs) It's a line you don't cross, but unfortunately it happens all the time. And it's happened way more than we'll ever know, to be honest with you. And I guess fortunately for her, you know, now she's going to pass. She's going to pass, but it's, it's, it always makes me cringe when I see scenes like that, but it, it happens. I can tell you, I've... Uh, I've worked at a lot of schools and there's three schools that I've worked at personally, personally, where teachers have been caught having sex with students. Oh my God. So, and that's, and I, I mean, I I haven't worked at that many schools. I think maybe if you count them up, maybe seven. So almost half the school uh, schools I've worked at in my career, teachers have been caught having sex with students. So take, put that in perspective and thinking about how often it happens that it's never, you're never caught. The teacher's never caught. I know in college, uh, one of the girls in one of my classes was sleeping with one of our teachers. Oh yeah. I remember when I was at the, the university of Iowa, we had this, perf- I, I'm not going to spoil. I'm not going to like give any information that would let him know. Let tell couple- us who it is. I could, but I mean, I'm going to tell you he was hot. He was hot, but it was very much rumored that he was like sleeping with a lot of the female students, even though he was married. Oh I know. I know. Oh no. Oh my God. Good old humanity letting us down again. Blondie. Come on, Blondie. She gets buzzed by the principal to come into his office. We love Blondie. I love Blondie. She's no nonsense, but I wish she had better taste because this principal is not somebody that I would be like. I honestly wish that they had taken out the whole like um, teacher sleeping with the student storyline and given maybe them a little bit more to work with. Or, you know, just done away with the whole relationship between teacher student and the relationship between secretary and principal because it's so it's well none of it pays off anyway like none of it has anything to do with any furthering the story and it's so stereotypical like you're going to expect that when she goes into his office you know she's looking into her her little handheld mirror making sure her hair is all perfect that this is what it's going to lead to that it's going to lead to them kissing and, and him insinuating that they are having an affair. I don't know if it's an affair. I don't know if he's married and this is like a secret affair or what it's, there's never any like information to let us know that particular aspect. I kind of got the vibe that they were just like a couple. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, but yeah, he, he tells her that he gives her this tape and he's like, Hey, there's three letters that need to be transcribed on this. You're going to need to do it ASAP. And then he like starts listing off who all these letters have to go to. And she's like, this is unfair. And he tells her, you know what? If you finish, I'll bring a nice bottle of wine over to your house tonight when you're done. And 
she's all pouty, but then she's like, she's as she's leaving his office, she's like, fine, make it midnight. And I'm thinking, midnight? <laughs> Your graduation's <laughs> the next morning. Midnight? My ass is in bed every night at like 8.30 because I get up so early. I would not be telling someone to come to my house at fucking midnight during the school week. I can tell you that much right now. I mean, she has her priorities, and that's what she's going to do. So... Also, wait, isn't there an event like, oh, I guess it's a student dance or whatever. But I was like, there's like an event tonight that I guess is unchaperoned anyway. (laughs) Oh, these kids, they're just running amok with nobody paying attention to them. Well, when she leaves, he takes out this knife, this pocket knife, and and it's the same type of knife that killed Paul at the beginning of the film. And he cuts his little apple, but then he opens his drawer and this motherfucker has a drawer full of pocket knives. He has 20 pocket knives. I'm assuming they probably take them from the students and then he keeps them in his office. Oh, that's a great, that's hey, that's a great theory. Look, I knew there was a reason why I had you on the podcast because I would have never thought about that. But it does, it does make him obviously look like a, a suspect, right? And also it makes him look like, I mean, this man cannot cut an apple. Like <laughs> no. that apple cut was rough. You know, they only had one take. They had one apple on set and they're like, you got to cut it. And we're just, whatever it looks like. That was it. it. It's really realistic. <laughs> So we get this scene, and again, they could have cut this scene out. This scene lasts a long time, and it literally goes nowhere. Like, it has no bearing on anything that happens after this. It's the it's the music teacher hearing banging from the boiler room. Oh, yeah. What is this? And it's essentially like, isn't it like actually two kids? Like, okay, so this is what I mean, too, when I'm like, his storyline could have been cut in general, because like, he's not even a victim. No, he... And he's not really red herring. So I'm like, what was his point? After the scene, he's totally not seen again. But he goes down into the boiler room to check out this banging. He runs into the coach on the way down there. And they have this really awkward like exchange. And where he's like, do you hear that banging? And the coach is like, no, I don't hear nothing. What are you talking about? Well, I'm going to go check it out. And the coach is like, yeah, you do that. But he goes down into this basement. And it's, yeah, you think this could be leading to a really cool death scene. Because boiler rooms and schools are creepy as fuck to begin with. But no, all he does is he proceeds to find this, like, hear this tape recorder of him literally having sex with Dolores. Yeah, telling, oh, that feels good. And she's like laughing and stuff. And he finds this, he finds the tape player that's playing the tape and he shuts it off. But then he turns around and he sees two students run out of the basement. And correct me if I'm wrong, these students are not Dolores and Tony. The girl has like brown hair. She's like brown curly hair. It's like two randos. So how did they get the tape to put it? It's very... They must have just been listening or watching through the window. I also... This does in fact include one of my favorite lines which is, who are you? I know who you are. (laughs) I'm like, you don't. Which one is it? Do you know him or not? Yeah, it's... I'm telling you, this film could have benefited from an editor that ran through the film a couple times before they 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 sent the final product out. Because yeah, there are a lot of editing editing glitches in the film for sure. So now you get to Dolores and Tony laying uh Tony's laying on Dolores's lap on a park bench and they're smoking pot, talking about how many girls he screwed. Apparently, Tony is uh, quite the quite the little male whore because he's yeah he slept with everyone at the other school everyone at sacred heart including nancy who's dolores's best friend which also dolores seems to have a little bit of a jealousy aspect to her when it comes to tony but she just slept with her teacher so i don't really know why i don't know i mean tony's definitely the hottest guy we see in this school so i kind of get it 
because she immediately just out of the bush. She's like, Tony, I'm horny. And she starts to like unbutton his. She has unbuttoning his pants. It's pretty iconic, which is again, I get it. But like, I, I also, I will say I like the kind of the flip in gender roles because generally, as we all know, in these types of films, it's the guys that's trying to get in the girl's pants and the the girls are but yeah, like let's go behind the tree and, and whip it out. And she, he's like, no, no, we can do it later. It's the girls that are protesting in this case. No, she's trying to get that dick. And he's like, no, no, no later, later. And then the security guard McGregor just randomly shows up and you know, he's like, what are you kids doing? And they proceed to like make fun of him and like, Oh, he's a narc and narcs aren't very smart. Oh, Oh, they're being just like little fucking assholes to him. And, you know, they take off. And when they, when they leave, he proceeds to light up a joint. Yeah. Is there anybody in this school? Like, are there any of the adults in the school worth a shit? Because everyone that we've met so far. Blondie. She's my only one I like. Although she's sleeping with the principal and she, yeah, who knows? she's they, in a rough spot. She's stuck <laughs> between a rock and a hard place. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> also, speaking of the, speaking of the sexual, uh, gender role, like situation, that's kind of like in this whole film, like Dolor- Dolores specifically, like even with the teacher, she initiates that. And with this, she initiates it. And then later on, she initiates She loves public sex. I'll tell you that. But I wonder if that has anything to do with the screenplay being written by a woman. Because there is not really any male pushing of like sexuality. And the nudity is very like kind of rare. It's like there's not too much of it scattered through the film this isn't a very sexual film chris i am so thrilled that you did your homework on this film because you just told me something that i actually didn't know shame on me even though i did you know watch the film and research i did not know that a female was. yeah herb fried and anne maurice are the screenplay that is very interesting you know because i'm going back to our slumber party massacre episode we me and roger spend a significant uh, amount of time talking about the fact that it was written and directed by a woman and that it definitely has that vibe to it because the female characters by the end of the film become very very badass and and demasculate the, the killer at the end and everything you're right yeah so maybe the female perspective on this film is why like you said the the female characters are for the most part strong we get the strong Anne, and the fact that yeah there are a lot of um gender like reversals in this film particularly with the dolores character being so like aggressively sexual and then the guy being like oh no i don't want to do it now leave me alone it is interesting that that could definitely provide the 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 dynamic that the characters have having that female perspective yeah i thought about even i know that it was directed obviously by a man but he wrote the screenplay with her and even the direction when it comes to nudity like when i think of the 80s i think it's going to be tits in my face do you know what i mean and this movie didn't have that um there were a couple here and there but it wasn't like it wasn't like what i'm used to in an 80s slasher oh it's it's definitely not like the slumber party massacre which you're bombarded with tits in, in your face from the first 30 seconds of that film <laughs> But Anne, I like this confrontation between Anne and Mr. Michaels. She shows up to his woodworking classroom. This might have been my favorite scene. Yeah, she gets started. Like the machines like turn on by themselves for some weird reason. And he comes out screaming at her, don't touch my machines. And then, then they just have this. I mean, she's very pointed with blaming him for her death. She's like, she's like, you killed my sister. And he's like, oh, I didn't kill anybody. He's like, yes, you did. You're a rotten bastard that pushed her too hard. And I like his response. He's like, no, I loved her. 
I, I molded her. She was precision. She was power. And Anne's like, you mean like a machine? And you can tell that like, he's like, oh, fuck. Okay, you caught me. <laughs> and I just, I feel like this scene kind of embodies what the film's actual overarching like commentary is. You know, like he sees it from the thing of like, I'm pushing because I want their success. And she sees it as like, you're pushing so hard that you've broken them. And I think that that could have been explored better throughout the film. Not that I needed to be like, um, you know, a social commentary on blah, blah, blah. But if you're able to slip that in, in a way that influences the story more and the slashing more, I would like that better than, I do feel like I was kind of almost watching two separate stories happening that then come together at the end. Yeah. And I like that he does get a chance to like defend himself. And you know, what he's saying is I would imagine like what he's saying, like his response is like, he loved, he loved, he loves his kids. He, he, he just pushes them to make them better. Like, but I mean, that's traditionally, that's what we want a coach to do. So there's this dynamic that is formed. Like, do you, do you as the viewer, do you think that the coach is at fault for her death? Is this coach, is this coach, this particular coach, Coach Michaels, doing anything different like than any other coach across the country? I mean, I, I know coaching has changed a lot through the years. Now it's very frowned upon this type of coaching. But like, goddamn, when I was in high school during during the 70s, 80s, 60s, this is how coaching was. Coaches were there to push you. So do you think as the viewer, do you think he did something? that was that crossed the line or or is it the more the fact that Laura had a medical condition and she was going to probably die regardless of what she did right so it, it's kind of i wish the film would have done a better job at making the viewer like make that choice yeah i would have loved more of that because obviously from us analyzing it it's like okay it was probably a mix of both but the only really issue we see with him is kind of when it comes to like Sally on the thing being like, I don't feel like, it. and he's like, do it anyway, bitch. And then she like does, but then she does walk off and it's not like he chases her and tapes her to the bar. Like he is overtly aggressive when it comes to the way he pushes them. And that's probably not good, but you see that a lot now still in football and stuff, especially like with young guys, like you see the coach pushing that kind of stuff a lot. Yeah, I mean, it's just it just begs the question: Is he was is he doing anything that a, a coach, any other coach, is he doing anything differently than any other coach? Because that's what coaches are there for. They're they're there to push. Yeah, and I look at it like yeah, he's a he's an aggressive, pushy coach. Is he a murderer? I wouldn't say so in my book. No, I see, and that's the thing is I don't I don't subscribe to the fact that the coach was responsible for uh, Laura's death. I don't. I don't. Um, I think if you have a blood clot, you were going to die anyway. Yeah, I kind of hoped that I don't. I'm. I don't know if I'm going to sound stupid. I don't know if maybe there could have been something that they alluded to that like he was giving her something to help her athleticism, and that caused the blood clot. Like my partner was on medication for something that caused a blood clot that caused a stroke, and I'm like, oh, well, maybe that could have been the case. Like if he was giving a steroid or some sort to her that would make it more his fault and maybe all the other kids knew it something that was more like more than just like oh he really wanted her to succeed and then she got a blood clot and died and that's his fault yeah because the film really wants to villainize this coach i think that's the whole 
idea behind having these subplots with Anne showing up and like people thinking they want to villainize him. But to me, there's not enough like there for me to think that this guy, yeah, he's a fucking villain. He's an asshole. He deserves to die. It just not, it's not there. And it's like, yeah, he's just an yeah, asshole. Exactly. He's not the rest exactly. of the stuff. You know? He's a coach. Um, but she does tell him, Hey, I got my answer. And she says that they'll meet again. Okay. Whew. Talk about like random. I mean, here we go again. Just a random character that hasn't really had any lines in the film show up to be murdered. And it's this blonde football guy, Ralph. The football guy. Yeah. I mean, he was in the opening scene during that photo and he's in the opening montage, but we've never really heard him say anything. He's running through the woods with his football. Yeah. And he, he really loves his football. Well, he runs into Vanna White. <laughs> He runs into Vanna White and like they take his football and they're like teasing each other and like he picks up one of the girls and it's very cute, you know, very cutesy, typical stuff. Again, it, it seems very improv, which I think it was, you know, like you run into each other, let him like they probably had like directed like stuff like pick her up so she can throw the ball and like but how you get there is up to y'all. Yeah, I like it. I like it. But they throw his football into the woods and then they take off giggling and he has to go into the woods to get his football. But before he goes, we see us, we see someone in the woods has the football and they have attached a sword <laughs> to the end. Yeah, they put like the fencing sword. It looks like they put the fencing sword like in through the football. Yeah, uh, this is a cool death. I just wish it was like executed a little bit better. I wish they could have shown something like even if they. <laughs> I don't know how that's stupid this will look. Even if they put a sword through an actual football and had a shot of it like flying across, because the insinuation is that they throw him the football and the sword goes through his stomach. Wouldn't, okay. Logistically, let me just, because he goes into this, this clearing, he sees the person with this football and he's like, hey, give me my football. Give me my fucking football. He really wants his football. He, he really, he really repeats that too. Like, give me my football. Give me my football. Would you not? I'm sorry. They're. <laughs> Would you would you not see that there is a the so, giant a sword? <laughs> I, I would imagine that would be very like right there. I, I could see a sword through my football. Never mind, you keep it. It also might deflate. I mean, unless you unless the precision was so fast. I guess maybe they did it in a way that like because it, it essentially it could pop the football. It doesn't. It doesn't. But we get this like cheesy slow motion scene of the football flying through the air. <laughs> and then it hits Ralph in the stomach and it goes through him and impales him and he falls to the ground, coughs up some blood. We do see the point of the sword coming out of his back. Although for as long as the sword was the only there's like a, literally like a two inch part that's coming out of his back when this sword is like literally like five feet long. So you would think there'd be more of it coming out of his back if it actually went through him. Um, and he, you know, he looks up, there's this moment that he looks up at the killer and you can see that he like, it almost looks like it's supposed to be like, oh, he recognizes who this is and he can't believe that they just did this to him. Right. And then, then he coughs up blood and dies. Well, and we see he, um, the killer pushes the little clock and he didn't die in 30 seconds. Because he looked up after that 30 seconds. Hit. Yeah. Well, you know, you can't, you can't win them all. You can't win them all. You can't win them all. Uh, okay. So we get the second musical number in the film. Tell me what you think about this har oh my harmonica God. knee slapping number. <laughs> okay. When it started, I was kind of into it. Like when it first started, I was like, okay, this is like a, it's a very music video-esque montage of these 
kids roller skating and Dolores is like, I want to go fuck in the woods. Like, and by woods, I mean, I guess there's this like, it's just kind of this random courtyard on the school that's like woods. Cause they're, everyone cuts through this area, but she's like, let's go. And I'm like, okay, it's all to this music. This proceeds for like eight minutes straight of this one song. And it repeats. I don't know how well you listen to the song, but it is repeating the same pieces of the song. It's like the song was on repeat and they were just doing like the same harmonies, the same uh, musical interludes. And I did learn that this band, I guess, gave them free range with this song. Like they gave it to them for free for the movie. But it's a, it could have, the song could have been cut in half or just done once. <laughs> You're talking about the, the, yeah, the band that's playing at the, the, the graduation at, dance. Yeah. Yeah. It's okay. I love the fact that in the, in the opening credits, they even have to say that they're, they introduced the band felony. It's actually in the opening credits <laughs> and introducing felony. So the band is felony. And yes, it's a long, long scene. I mean, the- my God, it is long and not only the fact that we have to watch them perform the song for a while but when oh first we have to acknowledge tony comes in on the dance floor and he shows off his bitch and dance moves oh my god yes. the dance moves i forgot about that and his tight little pants doing those break dancing moves he's he's showing it all off he's showing showing what he's got and dolores is like Wow. It's no wonder Dolores gets horny because she <laughs> she takes him out to the woods. <laughs> I saw you bouncing up and down on that floor, and now let's go bounce up and down in the woods. Yeah, they're just randomly going to go fuck outside in the woods. Which, you know, more power to them. I mean, but here's the thing is like, okay, so you get this scene where they're like, they she just like plops down in the middle of the woods. She's like, come lay next to me. And then they start making out. And during the, the whole time they're making out, we keep intercutting back to the fucking band. <laughs> And also the music is so loud. Like they did not they did not mix like the lines properly to me cuz I'm just like I'm hearing the music so blaringly loud but like Dolores and Tony are talking. And it's like a back it's like a back sound. Yes, again, editing, post production. Uh, this film would have benefited from going through the editing process a few times to catch some of this stuff. I don't know if they were like rushed because they were trying to get the film out by a certain time or something, but yeah, a lot of these, maybe they felt like because the band gave them the music for free and they were introducing, maybe they felt like they really needed to capitalize on they the had song. To, they had to blare it. <laughs> they had to blare it on repeat for seven minutes. <laughs> so during the, the, the makeout session, Tony decides he has to pee. Which I get, you know, like if you're about to have sex and you have to pee, you should go pee first. Yes, absolutely. 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 Um, But while he's peeing, again, it keeps intercutting back to the band playing. Someone comes up behind him or the killer comes up behind him and literally chops his head off with one swipe. Now, this sword is not a fencing sword because it's. It's an it's more like an actual sword. Oh, it's huge. It looks like it's huge. I'm a little confused as to where this one came from. <laughs> there's an array of swords available at this school. So Tony's taken too long. So Dolores finally gets up to go look for him and she finds his head in a tree. I don't know. It looks it doesn't look like him, but whatever. Well, also, can we just randomly mention I think that literally the shot of his head in a tree is black and white. And it's it's the only shot in the. I don't know if it's just lighting because it was dark, but it seems like there is 
just like that two second clip of his head is in black and white. Yeah, it do, it looks weird. I'd have to go back and look at it to see if that's if that's why. I guess it didn't hit me that it was black and white. I just thought it looked very odd, and that might be why. Uh, it doesn't look. It's not the best looking fake head I've ever seen in my life. I guess it's fine. It just doesn't look like him. But as she finds the head, this is the first time we see the killer in his garb. Oh, oh my gosh! This is like a big reveal. But it's like sweat, gray sweatpants with like a, a fencing, fencing mask. mask. The least <laughs> scary. I mean, if I saw this person jump out of the woods like he does, I would just start busting up laughing. I'd probably still run because I'd be like, oh, they're this person's crazy, but it's not the proper type of scare for me. No, it's a it's a horrible <laughs> costume, but we it leads into this prolonged chasing. So Linnea at least gets the kind of the best chasing in the film. Oh, yeah, I do. I like the chasing. And I do think Dolores of all the characters, not that she's fleshed out at all, but I do think they at least give her personality. So I was excited for her to get this chase. Yeah. And it lasts, like I said, it lasts quite a long time. She's running through the woods. She falls a couple times. The killer. There's a random dog. Is that a dog or a pig? I don't, I thought it was, (laughs) I don't know. It just comes out of nowhere. Yeah. She's hiding and something runs by her that scares her. Yeah. It's like, like, and it runs out of the bushes and she screams. But then there's the moment where she, she trips kind of the final time and the killer comes up behind or comes up to her and, uh, slashers her to death, I guess. Yeah, and- he like it's like he's golf swinging the sword on her, which kind of was not reminiscent because like this is new. But I don't know if you've seen your next, but it almost reminded me of when he. Um, have you seen your next? Oh yeah, we covered it a couple. Oh episodes. okay, yeah. yeah so yeah. like you know when the girlfriend is in the house and he like uses the axe like a golf club, it kind of reminded me of that. True. True. Yeah, that's a pretty gnarly death from your next. Yeah, but it's it, this is this is off screen. We don't really necessarily see what happens to her. I guess we do get that shot of that head that's not hers, which is confusing. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's one of those things where I'm like, I guess they didn't have the money or time to reshoot anything. Also, I learned I don't know why I was doing all this like trivia. All of the extras who were on the uh, roller skating rink, they were all paid five dollars. You know what? You know what? Hey, I would take five dollars. <laughs> I, it was I would take five dollars yeah. to roller skate around through a film. I mean, why not? Why not? You know, I love roller skating. Paying me to roller skate, I'd love it. I haven't done it for. I would probably fall, but I don't know. Oh, uh, I rollerblade all the time for exercise. Ooh, rollerblading! I haven't done that for a while too. But if you give me five dollars, Chris, I'll go rollerblading with you. How about hey, perfect? That? <laughs> I'll do that. <laughs> so now, poor Dolores is dead, and the next day, the principal is getting all of these phone calls from concerned parents. Because their children didn't come home, even though some of these kids were killed like days before, are their parents just just realizing yeah. that their kids aren't home? Like Paula's been gone since like Anne arrived. Paula's been gone a while. So has Sally. But apparently, their parents are just now realizing that all these kids are are gone, and they start to realize. The principal starts to put it together that it's all the kids from the track team. And I guess my other thought on that is. While I understand the parents' concern and maybe calling the school to get information, I don't understand what yelling at the principal is going to do about it as if he would have information on their missing child. Like, I imagine the police should be called. Well, that's what he even says. He's like, he even tells Blind, he's like, oh, what the fuck am I? Do I know about where their kids are at? I'm just the principal. I do love the comedy of her transferring those calls. To yeah. She's like, it's not my job. I don't get paid for this shit here. Principal, you got another call. But we do get this inspector that actually shows up who um, 
you know, he hates schools. That's the first thing that comes out of his mouth is I hate schools. I just want to get this rapport done. And he questions the principal. Do you have any idea where these kids would be? And the principal's like, why the fuck would I know where these kids are? You know? Yeah, like what principal is keeping like location tabs on their students? That's not, yeah, that's not a principal's main <laughs> concern, honestly, was what the kids are doing outside of school. But then he, he does have, the, the inspector does have McGregor, like he gives McGregor like this homeroom roster. And he's like, here, go check to see if the kids are in in their homerooms. And like, obviously, if they've been missing, they're not going to be in. Yeah, they're missing. They're not in homeroom. Uh, and then we get to this random like high jumper. Yeah. And I literally, when they, when Dolores got killed, I was like, Who's left? I was like, I just don't, I don't remember the track team. I do remember this kid because I remember there was a close-up shot of his eyes and he was the only one pole vaulting. So I remember his existence, but I don't know who this kid is. But luckily, you know, he gets a fun day. I don't even know if we know his name or not. I mean, yeah, he just, he just is doing his high jump with this, his pole jump, I guess it is. And he runs, we get this elaborate like setup of him rubbing his pole (laughs) Uh, you know just... and staring and there's also a bit of a that little like glitch editing where it's like a memory of the track it feels like and i don't know this character well enough to know if he would be thinking about it or if that was just editing fun that they were having mm. but your guess is as good as mine but he does his high jump and when he lands on the mat we hear him scream and, and then we get the reveal that someone very elaborately shoved several like swords and spikes through this mat so we see that uh this is the best death in the entire film because we do see the aftermath of it and it looks pretty great we see all the sword points coming up like there's one that comes right through his knee and they're all through it's pretty pretty well done but again they save this they save this like really cool death for just like this character that we have no idea who they are it's also just kind of like how do i put that like the practice schedule that these kids have is also weird because like he was just in full track outfit, like, hey, I guess, you know, all of my teammates aren't here, but, and my coach isn't here, but I'm just going to go practice, like, on the field during school hours. And isn't he, isn't he graduated? Didn't he graduate? So why is he here? <laughs> oh, did they graduate already? I, I'm assuming, oh, I don't know. Technically, I thought the graduation was that morning, remember? But, like, I don't know. We don't see the graduate. But, oh, like, that's yeah, right. He just loves pole jumping. He wants to do one. He wants to rub his pole one last time before. One more time. Yeah. Yeah. But he's dead. Uh, We do find out that the inspector goes to the wood shop to ask Coach Michaels about his track team disappearing. We do find out that Coach Michaels has been fired. So I guess he's fired because Laura died. Uh, But why wouldn't they fire him? I mean, I guess they could say he was fired because like she died on his watch or something. But yeah, it's a little maybe there was an investigation, but they didn't show us that. Yeah, I'm part. like if they were going to fire him because Laura died, wouldn't they have done that like right after she died? Like Yeah, or at least have pulled him out of coaching until they determined whether or not he had something to do with it. Yeah, and he's like, "Well, I don't have a team anymore. I have to get packed inspector, so please excuse me." And we get this moment where the coach opens up his desk drawer to reveal dun 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 the gloves. gloves and a stopwatch. Yeah, which makes sense, though, because he had a stopwatch in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, but again, this movie is just trying to give us all these red herrings. Yeah, and also I like the the dialogue of like, I don't have a team anymore. And I know that's because he was fired, but it also alludes to like, they're all dead. Uh, yeah, 
True, true. Um, Vanna and her friend, like every time you see Vanna, oh my god, they're everywhere. Honestly, she's like, re- like she's revealing all the kills. It's before Wheel of Fortunes. She's like, <laughs> I, I'm here's you're about to die because I bumped into you. You're about to die because I bumped into you. Let me find your body. And then she gets to open. She very elaborately, she gets to open a locker door, like she's turning a vowel. And it, because she sees blood coming out of this locker and um, she opens yeah, it and her and her friend are like, oh, my God, blood. But Sally's body falls out. How long has Sally's body been in this locker? Does this school not have a custodian that would have noticed it? that? Yeah, there's like there's and also nobody else has used the locker room. I know if in my high school, every every gym class, we use the same locker. Mm-hmm. We would just like, you know, so I'm sure I'm sure there has been a gym class that surely would have used this locker room. And then like, okay, so it's a cool reveal. I mean, I'm not bitching about this reveal. I like the fact that that Vanna White gets to find a dead body in a locker and then scream her fucking head off. And then cower. <laughs> yeah, it does that make sense. Like, okay, so the end of the film, like almost like the killer's lair is revealed, right? And he has all the bodies in here, but he's decided to stick Sally's in the locker where it can easily be found. Yeah, I can only assume that maybe he didn't. Well, I guess there's different ways you could do it. Like maybe he didn't want to, because it's in the locker room. Maybe he didn't want to carry it through like the school <laughs> or something. I don't. Well, yeah, put it in a put it in a recycling bin and haul it out. Also, there's there's really just not a lot of people around, I guess, because like he also just like moseyed into the girls' locker room in the first place, and so does the coach. Kind of like why is he in the girls' locker room office? He is in the girls' locker room, and like he comes out, and instead of like consoling them he immediately becomes suspicious because he opens up a locker and he fucking pulls out a sword like what is he doing like yeah and he's kind of pointing it at them and i know (laughs) it's like in the moment he's probably just like what's going on there's a dead body and you're screaming but like also you're pointing a sword at these two girls who just found a dead body (laughs) yeah well they uh, well kevin okay so why is kevin in the girls locker room now he's he shows up uh kevin okay so I think the film does something smart in a, in a way because I forgot fucking Kevin was a character. I, I totally, I will tell you, I totally forgot Kevin even existed to be honest. Well, that's the you. plus side of not showing us any of the track team yes. actually doing anything, which is smart because the reveal here is, it's coming up, but Kevin like immediately attacks the coach and they fight. Meanwhile, the girls, these girls literally run out of the school screaming that the coach is trying to kill them. <laughs> I mean, there's newspaper, there's yeah. there's police officers around, there's all the stu- Anne's chilling, talking yeah, to and people. the girls, oh, yeah, the coach is trying to kill us. Kevin and the coach fight, and the coach actually knocks Kevin down, and he takes off running. At the same time, Anne and the inspector run in, and they find in one of the lockers the photo with the crossed off faces. Yeah, and I do think that this is a good point of like a little bit of dialogue that Kevin says, um, I'm not going to let you get away with like another murder is what he says when they're fighting. And I that clued me into also being like, oh, this is somebody who really blames him. Because I had kind of guessed a little bit through, I was like, what if it was her boyfriend and he's killing the coach and all the people around it for letting it happen? Which... Sorry for everybody who's listening, but that is what ends up happening. That is, that is the reveal. And that was one of the lines that I heard where I was like, oh, maybe I was right. And then, you know, like five minutes later, cue, you know, them running through this wooded area. Well, you get everyone running through the wooded area. The coach runs out, runs through the uh, wooded area. Kevin runs out and chases the coach. I guess Anne ran behind them because she is able to scream 
in a way that they hear her. Yeah, she's in the woods. The inspector, everyone's in the woods. Uh, but the coach like comes out from behind a tree and like hits Kevin and, and knocks him down and takes off running. But then the coach runs right into the dead body of that football player who's just the killer just left him in the woods to be found because his body's just yeah. right there. Uh, and Kevin shows up. The coach and the Kevin have this confrontation where what you just said, the we find out Kevin is indeed the killer because he saved the best for last. He wants to kill the coach last because he blames the coach for Laura's death. But then he also blames like her teammates, I guess, for letting him do it to her. But he didn't he let her do it. He didn't he let him do that's it the him? thing is he was on the team. So he is just as culpable as any of the other teammates. And also they all stood up for her and were against the coach in the like two seconds of a glimpse of character work that we got. Yeah. It's, it's weird. It's kind of, it's a piss poor motive. It doesn't make a whole hell of a lot of sense. Ironically, I like the motive. It was just not executed in a way that like the characters didn't actually cause the motive he went with. No, none of them did. None of them did. But he's going to kill the coach because he obviously he saved, the, like he says, he saves the best for last. He takes out his stopwatch and sets it for 30 seconds. And he's like, that's 30 seconds, coach. That's all it took for you to kill her. Uh, and then he reveals that him and Laura were going to be married that day. They were going to be married. Then, yeah, today, the day after graduation, just randomly get married. <laughs> I don't know. I remember watching. I was like, you're a little young. Yeah. To make that decision. Uh, uh, but he attacks. Uh, he attacks the coach with a knife. But the, but the coach is able to get the knife away from him. And like, just as he's going to like stab Kevin because he knows Kevin's the killer. The inspector shows up and immediately like shoots <laughs> and kills the coach like no warning just like oh shoots him and kills him yeah i guess in my head i want to be like that's a little crazy but like i guess <laughs> we live in a society where we know that that's that's not that crazy um i would think that the better method would be like oh maybe shoot him in the leg or just hold the gun at him because he's got a knife and just be like freeze like you know i'm taking you in he killed but, him i mean he shoots him multiple times dude it's not just like once he's like shoots him and then he goes and he says he's taking kevin to the uh to the station for a statement and this to me would be a great time to be like if i was kevin sweet i won like every everyone aside from myself is dead and that's that but then as we'll find out he i guess is greedier than that i don't even know why he had more to do yeah, like the film could have ended here. I mean, it wouldn't have given us an, uh, a chase scene with with Anne, but let's be honest, her chase scene is pretty lackluster. Well, my issue too is up to this point, like the movie literally could have ended here and Anne would have not had any purpose. And that's kind of my problem is I'm like, she should, I think she should have been the one kind of figuring all of this out during this. Because even even with this like, final scene she really still doesn't have a purpose yeah aside from like being the one who ends up like getting him in the end after this fight like i was hoping her coming back was her figuring out all of this going on well i mean she she puts she starts to put it together a little bit because she goes to uh to the school to ask blondie to get laura's trophy for her and blondie tells her that kevin already picked up uh, Laura's trophy and he told Blondie that 
Kevin told me that you wanted him to pick uh, the trophy up. And uh, of course, Anne is like, oh, interesting. Well, I also love that she says that and Anne doesn't like confirm or deny that. She's just like, oh, he did. And Blondie's like, and Kevin's not a boy that would lie. And she's like, no, he's not. And I'm like, girl, at least say like, yeah, I told him and I forgot. Or like, oh, I didn't say that and I'll go figure it out. Yeah, she just she sort of just plays along with it, even though I think I think we're supposed to think that she it's caused some wheels to turn into her head because she goes to Kevin's house. And again, she just has a habit of just walking in like she owns the place. She walks in. She says hi to the naked statue. She says hi to grandma. And then she goes upstairs to Kevin's room and walks in and she notices someone sitting in a chair in front of the window. She's like, oh, excuse me. She's like, oh, sorry, girl. I didn't know you, didn't know you were in here. <laughs> but she walks up to it and reveals that it is, it's fucking Laura's decomposed corpse wearing a graduation gown, mind you. Yeah. And is something going on with her eyes or is that just from decomposition? I'm, I guess that's what they assume decomposition looks like because yeah, her eyes are like black as a raccoon. Like there's these huge black circles around her eyes. Yeah, and for Anne, I can assume this is pretty traumatizing. Like, especially because I guess she knows that there were murders happening, but she wasn't really connected to that, and she didn't really see any of that. So, like, seeing your sister's dead body decomposed in a room, it's got to be pretty rough. Yeah, I feel like her reaction could have been a little bigger, though. That's what I was thinking. I was like, okay, you're finding your sister's, like, decomposed body. Wouldn't you be, like, freaking the fuck out? And she's pretty calm about it. Yeah, maybe the Navy's really, like, gotten her... They trained Prepared. her well because she's, yeah. she remains calm. And he comes out and he grabs her by the mouth and tells her to be quiet. And he, t- he tells her, oh, you got, you got here just in time because I-, I wanted you to be her first kiss after the- Oh my God. Yeah. The bride's first kiss. I was like, why, even if she was alive, why would you want the sisters to kiss each other? Yeah. Kind of weird. Uh, but she pushes him away and he's like, all of a sudden he gets super aggressive. He's like, you're just as bad as the rest of them. It's your fault too. It's your fault. And I'm going to teach you. And he comes after after her with a knife and like she awkwardly like hits him and it causes him to like grab (laughs) Laura's body and fall out the window. I'm like, how did this happen? And for a second, I thought maybe that would be his death. And I was like, wow, that was a little anticlimactic, but I guess poetic. But then she literally runs downstairs, opens (laughs) the door and he just walks in. Carrying the body, just walks yeah. right by, and then she like takes off running. And okay, can we talk about this running scene, girl? <laughs> I mean, here's the th- here's the thing. I thought first when I saw it was, and I don't want to I don't want to critique this woman's technique, right? But <laughs> she was in the Navy, track star. She ain't. <laughs> yeah, I the the run for me was giving like. Maybe she too had a blood clot all of a sudden and was <laughs> like her arms were kind of just to the sides, like blowing in the wind. And she kind of had like a, a little bit of a glamorous, like her head was back glamorously as she like, I don't want to say floated along. <laughs> like it, I, I don't know how to describe it without being offensive. It, it It's awkward. It's awkward. It looks really awkward. And like, it's, yeah, she's not a runner. No, she's not it's, a under, it's intercut with her with Laura running, which makes it even look even worse. Okay. So answer me this, answer me this, Chris, you just saw this crazy man. Like he has your sister's corpse. He's going to marry it. And you, you get out of his house and you take off running. Let me ask you this. Where are you going to run to? 
I would think I would run to the track where my sister died and run into the only piece of equipment that's in the middle of the field. I would bump into it. Perfect. <laughs> I think any reasonable person would do the same. I'm thinking, why is she running to the fucking school? There's there's houses. There's anywhere. The there's a grocery store. There's a co- I mean, but she runs to the she runs to the school and she like literally sits on the bleachers. Yeah, she just she's chilling for a second. She's like, I gotta catch my breath. <laughs> And of course, Kevin somehow knows that she ran to the school because he shows up and we get this awkward chase through the bleachers under the bleachers while he's chasing her with a knife. This is one of my favorite moments, though, because if you (laughs) read, it's not for a good reason. But if you like are watching closely, whenever she falls or does anything, she does a full on like hair whip. So like she falls to the ground and she like. Full like Ariel on the rock, like does her hair back, she and then her gets hair up back and forth. She whips her yeah. hair back and forth. Yeah, she's I, doing I, a glamour shoot while she's on this run. She is gonna. She's milking her final scene for all it's worth. You know, I mean, she's she's a pretty worthless final girl, so she might as well get some a few hair flips in to make it look a little bit better. Um, but he does like get a hold of her at some point. He's like choking her, and she <laughs> she turns over and sees this deta- this decapitated head, which is not Dolores. It's just a random head. Yeah. It's the girl that used to play Dolores. <laughs> yeah. And this is like when he starts spouting out like everybody he killed and he says, Diane, I killed Diane. I'm like, no, you got her name wrong. <laughs> you didn't really think about her. Um, and then like she gets away from him. She like runs into the, another like layer and he has like all these bodies under the, I guess this is under the bleachers. Right. Uh, and we see that the poor pole vaulting guy is hung to the door with the spikes still coming out of his stomach. Yeah, he's just still in the spikes. Weird, because wouldn't you have lifted the body off the spikes and they wouldn't still be attached to him? But but they are, and he's he's hung on the door. And in the most like lackluster manner possible, like Kevin comes into the room and he walks towards her, and she literally like kicks towards him and he falls into the spike boy's body and gets impaled it is so yeah fucking lame it's so lame i really thought the trophy would come into play like i thought that that was kind of a setup for us the way they kept talking about her trophy being like this thing but it I, we never even saw it we never even see it but that he falls into the he falls into the spikes that are impaled in the uh high jumper and he's he's dead he, he spits up some blood and falls to the ground and he's dead that's it that's how that's how this goes down. That's how Anne takes care of the killer. It's all very eh. Yeah, it was also like, I just feel like Anne, and I think the actress portrays it well, is set up to be such like a badass. But then when the actual fighting came into play and the fight choreo, that didn't land for me as somebody who's like a Navy trained badass. No, it's all very lackluster, particularly the fact like at the beginning of the film, she has no qualm standing up to men like she she grabs that truck driver's balls. She pushes her um, her stepdad. But then when it comes to real like danger, real confrontation, something that she definitely should be trained for. She just she's making sure she looks good and shed. She's yeah, she her just hair. She doesn't really do anything like she doesn't fight back. It's all by like happenstance that she just pushes him and he, he falls into the. He honestly hurts himself more than she hurts him. Yeah. And I, I, you know, it wasn't even, I don't even think it was like her intention. Like it wasn't like this plan that she saw the body behind her and she, Oh, I'm going to push him. It just was like by accident. Oh, he falls into the body. So yeah, they, they, they start her character out being one way, but 
But when it comes to the final confrontation with the killer, they really uh, resort to her being like a helpless damsel in distress. It's it's quite disappointing, honestly. Yeah, and I do think that the actress portrays it well. I just think that the, the way it ended up like it was almost like two different characters were written. Mm-hmm. I get that. I get that. I totally, it's, it's definitely one of my notes that it's. I actually did like the, um, Kevin, I, I thought his performance at the end was good too. Oh yeah. He's great. He's great. He plays, he plays crazy well, especially when he's yelling at the coach about, you know, you killed her. And he's, yeah, it's, he's pretty great. He's pretty menacing. I just wish that there was a more prolonged fleshed out confrontation between these two. Yeah, and I wish that throughout the movie we had gotten to know, again, all these characters. I don't know if maybe they, they do that more nowadays, I guess, where it's like you have like the core group of people. And you get to know a little bit about them, and then you, it's when the, they do a whodunit. And I'm kind of like, I think that that would have worked well for this movie. Oh, also, while we're here about things like this, now that we've gotten to the end of this movie, I don't understand why it's called Graduation Day. <laughs> I know it takes place like on Graduation Day. Like... I call it like track meet, M-E-A-T. Like, you know what I mean? Like something track and field related or sports related. It's it's not a graduation movie. Roger would love it if it was called track meet, M-E-A-T. Yeah, I think that'd be fun. But no, you're right. I mean, I guess it was to capitalize on all the holiday theme slashers that came out around this time. They're like, oh, what can we do that, you know, is different? But yeah. I guess I just wish that they themed it more towards actual graduation as opposed to it just happening at graduation, but being about the track team. Yes, you're right. You're right. And there's also, there's um, actually a slasher film. I don't know if you've ever seen it. If you have if you never saw this one before doing this, you probably have never seen fatal games. Fatal no. games came out around 84. It's a slasher film, very similar plots. Um, but that one, it fully embraces the idea or the theme that a, uh, 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 sports team athletes are being murdered off at a school it's definitely utilizes that theme a lot better than this one does because yeah graduation day okay but that's not really the point of the film the catalyst of this film has nothing to do with graduation day it's it's the fact that a track athlete died so yeah it would have been a little bit better if they would have maybe focused on that uh idea uh and kind of kept the graduation stuff at, at bay but i mean you know, at the end of the day, hey, we got graduation day. So it's one of those like holiday themed slashers that we can throw into the barrel, right? Yeah. And I guess, I mean, it does take place at graduation. So at least there is some semblance. Although also, you know, maybe the fencing sweatpants killer could have worn a cap or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was going to say, you know, if you're going to call a film graduation day, the killer could have at least been like disguised in a, in a graduation gown and whatnot, uh, much like teacher shortage, right? They could have learned a few things from teacher shortage, but, um, but they no, they, they go teacher shortage before they did. This. They should, but they, they go this weird route with gray sweatpants, which again has to be the least intimidating killer costume I've ever seen. I mean, that's like my go-to outfit for, <laughs> When you're for killing people, yeah. Oh, okay. How many movies have you done where you've had to wear gray sweatpants? Uh, only the ones I can't talk about. No, I'm just we'll kidding. change. <laughs> we'll, we'll change. I'm gonna cash you and make you wear gray it's sweatpants. A, I, I mean, they're film. super comfy. They're a little revealing, but <laughs> well, that's that's the point. Exactly. Either that's why there is a gray sweatpants season for a reason. Why people look forward. Maybe to Maybe that. that's what this movie uh, should have been about. I would have, hey, I would have been all for that. Uh, but no, so 
it's not the end of the film because we get this tacked on scene that could have been cut from the film where like that night at her house, she's telling her mom goodbye that she has to leave in the morning and Ronald's in the background screaming for his fucking vodka. Yeah. Still being an asshole. Yeah. So she goes to bed and she has like a dream or a vision of like Kevin busting through the door with a knife. Um, yeah, I thought it was a dream, but then when it's, you know, the reveal, I'm assuming maybe she was hallucinating it a little bit, or maybe she was like half asleep, half awake. Yeah, because he's like coming at her bed with a knife and like saying, I'm going to kill you. And then like the mom comes up right behind him and she's like, oh, are you wandering in here again? And it, the reveal is it's just drunk Ronald holding a bottle of vodka. Yeah. And instead of like chastising her husband for like going into her daughter's bedroom in the middle of the night, she's like, you got to forgive Ron. You got to forgive forgive him. him. He's been through a lot. This mother slaps some sense into this broad. I mean, that's her go-to line. You got to forgive Ronald. And guess what? The next day Anne gets on a tag and gets in a taxi and takes off. And that's the end of the film. And there you go. <laughs> Graduation day. Do you know what? Also, I wish that this film had, um, I think they tried it a couple times, but maybe it was just me. It didn't work on me because I gotcha. But like, I wish there were some more jump scares. There were like none. No. Well, this film is not scary at all. They, yeah. It doesn't try to be. I mean, there are moments where I think that they, 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 tr- they're, they're aiming for suspense, but like, they don't pull it off. They don't, they don't, um, they don't execute it properly. Like Dolores's death scene could have been a lot more suspenseful if it was handled properly. I mean, I don't want to bad mouth like, you know, filmmakers, but I feel like you can definitely tell that the crew on this film were maybe a little bit inexperienced. I mean, it, it, it the film is, the film yeah. is sloppy and I, that, that, I mean, it's sloppy throughout in it. Like I said, I've mentioned the editing quite a bit and some of that stuff could have definitely been fixed. In editing, just like glaring mistakes that would have been an easy fix, but they're just left in the film. Yeah, my biggest thing about this film is I, because, you know, when we started the podcast today, I was like saying about the positive I feel about it. And the thing is, I do find this movie to be, what's the word I'm looking for? I think it's full of potential. Like, I like the killer. I like the reveal. I like the motive. And I like the cast that they've chosen, but I don't like what they've done with them. Like, I don't think that they're telling the story that I like the story, but I don't think they're telling it the way that I want to see it in a slasher. And I don't think they're using the characters to their full potential. I mean, I think, yes, I think you can sum that up by saying it's my feelings exactly, is that there's an interesting concept here. There's an interesting idea. The execution, though, is not great. Exactly. Yeah. Because I'm like, if you could take this same plot, same actors, same characters, and kind of just rearrange the way it's written, because I don't think the dialogue or anything is bad. And I don't think like, the style of it is bad. It's literally just like, I do feel like there's two separate stories that don't quite mesh being told. And then it's being marketed as like, this is the slasher film. And I'm like, the more interesting pieces are not really happening with the slasher stuff and the slasher stuff is kind of random until it's revealed. 
So I'm like, I wish there was a blend of it. You know, you know, we talk about, and I know we talk about remakes and some horror fans are definitely heavily opposed to remakes. I personally have never, I don't care if a film is remade because to me, it doesn't take away from the original at all. If I don't like the remake, guess what? I don't have to watch it. They're still the original. With that being said, this film, Chris, would be a perfect film to remake. Absolutely. Let's remake it and we'll call it track meat. (laughs) And um, because some of the kills too, like you could like that. um, I imagine that uh, pole vaulting kill today with the new, like the way we have effects and the way we have just new technology would be so sick. It's a full on like final destination moment. You could really like amp up the gore in this film, make the story a little bit more cohesive. This one definitely would be um, a great film to remake. Maybe somebody can give me the rights to it and you can star in it in your gray sweatpants. How about that? Oh my God, that's perfect. Yeah, I'll be Kevin. (laughs) Spoiler alert, I'm the killer. (laughs) And I'll just run around in my gray gray sweatpants with my fencing hat. That's all we need. That's all. Who could? I mean, that's all we need is Chris Jenner in his gray sweatpants. I honestly, I'm wearing gray sweatpants right now. Oh, wow. Hmm. Um, But no. Uh, Yeah. So at the end of the day, I, you know, this film for me just kind of falls flat. I feel like it just had the makings of being something. I would probably love and rewatch. And I think the positive thing is in watching it, I can see all of those things. I do see like the things they were going for and the potential of it. I just think that the movie, like you said, kind of just, it didn't execute it in a way that like lived up to what I think it could have done. No. And there are so many better slasher films to come out of the eighties that I think that it's very easy to see why this one is overlooked. Uh, I'm sure the film has its fans, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, I I will be honest, I could really care less if I ever watched it again. It would not be one that I would seek out to watch and be like, oh, I got to watch Graduation Day. Or it's not even one that I would really recommend, you know, people that are looking for 80 slashers to watch necessarily, because there are so many other ones that are done better. Yeah, I think the only reason I might be like, oh, um, did you know Vanna White was an actress? And this is a movie she did, if you want to see her. Definitely. I mean, she is great in it. I mean, for the little bit that she's in, I love Linnea Quigley in this. This is probably one of her most endearing performances. A lot of times Linnea Quigley shows up in a film that's not really given a lot to do, but she actually has sort of a fleshed out character in this film, which is... I read in an interview, too, that she kind of attributes the start of her like journey in the industry to this kind of film and the way that it happened. Like, essentially her agreeing to do the nudity and pop in to replace that actress kind of set in motion what she feels was her well and, i mean it, that's that's her that's her thing right especially in 80s horror i mean you you, you see linnea quigley pop up in a film you know you're gonna see her boobs that's i mean there's not one 80s horror film that linnea quigley's in that she does not show her boobs so bless bless graduation day and and for for starting her career because yeah she's in some of the more iconic horror films of the 80s i would not include this one but she she definitely (laughs) is but yeah guys at the end of the day let us let us know your thoughts on graduation day do you think it is a worthy of a diploma or should it go to detention i know cheesy oh no i like that let us know but uh yeah so chris um 
Before we go, you know, is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to shout out like where people can follow you, like social media, where they can keep up to date on your your touring and your film roles, any upcoming film roles you can you can divulge? I mean, yeah, I do. Uh, so if you want to follow me anywhere at Chris Jennert, J-E-H-N-E-R-T, is where you can find me on all social media. I think my Instagram is kind of the most uh, up-to-date and interactive where I have all of my upcoming films and tour dates and all that stuff. I am watching, um, not I'm watching, I have a YouTube channel now where I do reaction videos and I actually reacted to this movie in preparation for this podcast. And that's just my name, Chris Jenner Reacts. <laughs> and I can't uh, wait to watch that one. Yeah, watch it. So far, I've only, I've watched, been watching TV series. This is actually the first film I've done for the channel uh i'm in the process of moving so it's kind of as you know like it can be hard filming editing doing all that stuff while in the process of like doing all that stuff so i've been in like seven different states in the last like two months <laughs> so i've been doing that um and i do have uh my next movie coming out is gentleman caller which i am very very excited about it's by uh written and uh directed by emily de Primio, who i did trailer park princess for her and it's kind of like a psychological werewolf-ish horror movie. It's it's more along the lines of um, a writer has a like best-selling book, and her publishing company wants her to write a sequel. Given the contents of the book, it's hard to write a sequel, so she decides to go back to these cabins where she wrote the first one and she did it on some drugs. So she wanted to recreate the experience and she goes there and things just go a little bit awry. Well, sounds intriguing guys. So be on the lookout for that. Definitely sounds intriguing, but yeah, Chris, no, I want to thank you. Thank you. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule to, to hop on. You were great. Well, hopefully we'll have you on again in the future. Anytime. It gave me a great reason to like, Die. I haven't watched like a new an 80s slasher that I haven't seen in like it's got to be years. So I was excited to jump into something new. And this one has been on my actually, despite me not being like a huge fan of it, it has been on my list to cover for for a while. So I'm glad we I can scratch it off. Um, but yeah, so guys, thank you. Um, again, we are we are always going to end the podcast with saying, especially this month, that we are crossing our fingers and and sending Roger positive vibes and and hopes that the meat shoot is is doing extremely well he's missed but gives us an opportunity to have these amazing or gives me the opportunity to have these amazing guest hosts on and chris you were great i thoroughly enjoyed our conversation thank you so with so with that guys you're gonna see another surprise guest host next week so stay tuned good night 